This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Monday, February the 6th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the the show, the CRTC is considering revamping internet pricing in Canada. Marco Flalo has more information. And how do you stay active in winter? New columnist Ryan Van Praet will offer up some advice. The hour begins, like it always does, with the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, the B.C. legislature returns today. Premier David Eby laid out his objectives. We'll be having a throne speech and uh, it will be focusing on the key priorities of British Columbians broadly, making sure our healthcare system is responsive to the needs of British Columbians, everything from finding a family doctor to emergency care when and where they need it. Issues around housing, issues of community safety, and finally, issues of a strong economy. BC United leader Kevin Falcon thinks it's time for the government to take action. You know, whether it's health care, whether it's public safety, yeah. housing or affordability, um, there is a massive gap between what they promise and what their press releases say and the outcomes that people see. And frankly, he hasn't learned anything. All David Eby has been doing over the last, you know, uh, whatever his 100-day program is, just making announcements. Green leader Sonia Firstenau wants to keep offering policy ideas to the government. We are going to be bringing forward uh, big ideas and action plans that are, that are oriented to how do we deliver well-being. The budget will be tabled at the end of the month. Over to the Prairies, a union that represents healthcare workers in Saskatchewan has launched a petition calling for improved safety for employees outside of hospitals. Service Employees International Union West President Barbara Cape says staff were chased, stalked and accosted on their way back to their cars last month. The petition includes a call for shuttles, noting that public transit is not always an option for people with shift work. Health Minister Paul Merriman says he's aware of the concerns and said improvements are coming. Over to Ontario, Merritt Stiles has been confirmed as the new leader of the Ontario NDP. Stiles says the hard work is just beginning. Today, we start the countdown to the end of Doug Ford's disastrous government and the beginning of a bright new future for Ontario. Stiles understands that name recognition may still be working against her, but... They haven't met me yet. That's what I'm going to say. They haven't met me yet. We're, we're going to win this election. I feel absolutely confident in that. And, uh, and I think that's because I know how to win. Stiles was the only person to run for leadership. Over to Atlantic Canada, the University of PEI is set to start training its first medical, scla- cl- medical school class, very good at talking, in the fall of 2024. Concerns are being raised about staffing. Health PEI's CEO, Dr. Michael Gardam, says he does not understand how the university intends to recruit doctors to work as teachers while the province struggles with a shortage of physicians. Physicians in PEI are currently being asked to work 150% of a typical clinical workload to meet patient needs. 
Construction of the new school is underway, and officials have signed agreements with Newfoundland's Memorial University to develop the program. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, what could have been a very quiet weekend in the world of sports turned out to be quite busy on the news front, starting in the world of basketball. Friday afternoon, Brooklyn Nets superstar Kyrie Irving demanded a trade, and yesterday Kyrie Irving was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Yes, and I'll give you a little bit of insight. So I had written uh, this for you early in the afternoon on said day when he had the request and I had written about, you know, what if Brooklyn decided to keep him? Would that fly? And then, well, no, he decided to be traded and all was well. I really like this trade. I think it's good. I like the idea of Luka Doncic and him playing together. However, Dave, the thing that comes to my mind is when is the next time he's going to cause havoc? Because we've seen Kyrie Irving cause havoc in uh, about two or three different teams that he's been a part of now. And uh, it, to me, it's a matter of time. Unless, do you feel a new leaf might be turned over? I don't. Uh, Kyrie Irving is a complicated figure, but you mentioned the way in which he's uh, made some messes over the years. After four straight appearances in the NBA Finals, he demanded a trade out of Cleveland to Boston. During his time in Boston, he would regularly sit out games for what were known as Kyrie excursions, where he would go do whatever the heck he wanted. There was, of course, some of the vaccine concerns at his time with the Brooklyn Nets, and other times uh, demanding coaches be fired, and demanding the GMs be fired, demanding trades. There was certainly the sharing of a documentary loaded with anti-Semitic tropes earlier this year. Then, of course, there was this demanding a trade on Friday. Kyrie Irving uh, tends to make a mess where he goes. He's also a really exceptional basketball player. The thing that Dallas is counting on is can we take a little bit of a load off of Luka Doncic because he's being used in more than any other player in the league in terms of offensive usage. And that's just not sustainable in the long term. It's not sustainable in the short term or the long term. They're, they are perpetually losing playoff series because there's no balance in their scoring. So from a basketball perspective for the Dallas Mavericks, this is potentially something that can help them compete in the Western Conference this year. As to whether or not they're going to want to give him the bag in the summer on a major extension, that's a different question entirely. In the meantime, trading a first-round pick, trading Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, not a huge, huge price to pay for a bona fide wingman, a bona fide player who can be the number two superstar on a championship team. He's done it before with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So from a basketball perspective, Brock, it makes a lot of sense. From a personnel perspective, it's really only a matter of time until Kyrie wants to make another mess. Yeah, and... and to your point, you know, I was hearing a lot on uh, Friday in different sports outlets that I watch and listen to. You know, this is one of those stories where, like, you want to just shake your head and you want to go, oh, God, I don't know what this is. And this was before he actually got traded, of course. And then there's the other part that says, yeah, but this is the, one of the more intriguing stories because there was thought, you know, maybe he would go to L.A. and the LeBron attached that would be there. So there's a lot around Kyrie Irving, and I think there is some talent, and there is a lot of talent in Kyrie Irving. But it's it's what kind of soap opera does he bring with you? And, 
does he bring with himself to your team? And I think that's the question. Can he can he be the difference? Yes, I think he can add a lot and take the load off Luka Doncic, as you mentioned. But will the drama outweigh? Time will tell. Yeah, it, it, it's one of these things, though, where the West is very much bunched up together. I and mean, There's no team that's necessarily head and shoulders above everyone else in the West. Maybe you could argue it's Denver, but not really. Maybe you could argue, argue it's Memphis, but not really. So Dallas probably sees an opportunity here and says, let's see if we can keep it together with Kyrie for four months, and then we'll burn the rest of the bridges in the summer. Brock, speaking of action versus transaction, Another transaction that came across the wire yesterday is that Bo Horvat of now the New York Islanders has signed an extension, eight years, $8.5 million a year. So a week ago, he was a Vancouver Canuck, and now he's going to be on Long Island for the next eight years. Yes, um, I'm not surprised he was traded. Um, I think where I have a little bit of a surprise is that he signed an extension um without playing a game uh with this team and and that to me is a bit of a a surprise i think that maybe you might want to you know play with the team the organization for a bit although maybe you just want if they're offering you money that that works for you which obviously eight years and the amount of money he would be getting it would would work maybe that's what you're you're more leaning towards uh lou lula morello's comments yesterday uh were quite humorous he said to be honest, uh, contracts nowadays are too long and too much money. And uh, that blew up into headlines of Lou Lamorello thinks this contract is too long and too much money. But again, if you what if you're looking at that headline, understand that it was kind of done in a um, passing and and tongue in cheek sort of manner. He did not say it in the way that it's written. He said it more in like a comical sort of way with the media so caution when you're reading headlines and understanding the context because i had to go do some digging yesterday because i went huh what does this mean and then i and then when i watched the video i was like oh he was kind of yeah. just saying it to say it you know it's 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 the difference it's the difference between something being in writing versus being heard audibly the the the, con- the context changes completely and some, yeah. sometimes irony gets lost especially on sports reporters because they're not typically uh, the smartest batch in the world uh brock <laughs> let's also they've been in miami for a weekend uh, partying with uh with nhlers so maybe the brains are a little foggy on a sun on a sunday afternoon it, it's a good signing brock it, it makes sense for the islanders they gave away some decent assets last week to bring in Bo Horvat. He becomes part of the core that includes him, uh, Bar- Matthew Barzell, who's the, sort of the star of the show for the Islanders, Noah Dobson as a young defenseman, Ilya Sorokin, their goaltender who might win the Vesna this year. They're, they're thinking about a core here in the Islanders for the Islanders, but Brock, they're really in a tricky position because I would argue that Carolina, the Rangers, and the Devils are all set up in the long term to be better than them. So they're maybe just hoping that as Ovechkin and Crosby age out, that they're going to sneak into being the fourth or fifth best team in their division. But this is the kind of trade and the kind of signing that just says to me, oof, the Islanders are in no man's land. Yeah, they are. And and, they, and they've been that way um, for a long time. You know, they, they thought that John Tavares was going to be, you know, the the difference there and they've struggled and they've just kind of been in this you know in the middle ground of things and and i think that's kind of where they 
are right now. We'll see what happens in the future. You have uh, some really good talent, as you just alluded to that. But we'll see. The New York Islanders are kind of like one of those teams that when I see them on the schedule, I, I find myself... Oh yeah, the New York Islanders, right? Yeah, right. Like it's it's one of those teams that I go, hmm, am I going to turn on a game between you know the New York Islanders and and name another team? Maybe not. Um, but you know we'll see what happens in the future. But Lou Lamorello in charge there, I you know you gotta have some feeling that he's going to do something good. I think some some of his stuff that he does off the ice, like making guys shave. <laughs> I kind of wonder about that, but hey, he's been a proven GM and and he knows what's going on. Yeah, so. although it has been 20 years since Lou Lamorello has been the architect of a Stanley Cup winning team. So maybe uh, saying, oh, I'm not making guys shave, it's old school, but literally the winning also happened in a different universe before a salary cap. Mm -hmm. So maybe Lou Lamorello, not quite the genius people make him out to be. Brock, let's move on to one more topic that uh, sports reporters and broadcasters love to banty about after an all-star weekend that... I suppose was widely criticized from hockey fans. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I don't really care. And in the same time, the Pro Bowl in the NFL world also took place uh, this weekend, which was also widely penned and criticized by uh, reporters and fans. So, Brock, as you come out of All-Star Weekend, anything that you want to improve or do you want to take the Dave Brown approach, which is, hey, if you don't like it, just don't watch? Uh, there's there's a couple of the skills that I like. I like the hardest shot, the accuracy, and that's fine. It's this this gimmicky like let's do this funky the break, breakaway, the breakaway challenge. Yeah, and like the let's go out in the sun and and you know do some golfing and make it out to be hockey players. That's where I shake my head and go, what are we doing? What's going on here? And you know uh, you may not have seen this, and you may have also, but. Uh, Ron McLean is being quite um, bashed on social media with uh, Don Cherry's uh, birthday happening yesterday. Um, and he's bashed because Gary Bettman and him sort of went toe-to-toe -to -toe a little bit on some of the happenings in the NHL. And, and uh, Gary kind of ate him up and spit him out for lunch. And people are not fond of Ron McLean right now. So to me, that's sort of the big story in my mind that came out of All-Star Weekend is that Ron McLean is not being painted in the greatest of lights um, 48 hours uh, after the... Uh, Weekend. You're, so, you're talking. To, you're talking about the annual sit down that he does during All Star Weekend yeah, with yeah. Gary Bettman as a broadcast partner. The Hockey Night in Canada and Rogers gets to do that. They get the little sit down with Gary, and that's a pretty uncomfortable position for Ron McLean because as a broadcast partner, you're essentially a speaker for the league. So to ask him to go start asking Gary Bettman accountability questions, but maybe being unwilling to go too deep and then get dunked on by Gary Bettman a bunch. I don't know. Ron, Ron McLean, good sport, but uh, maybe just don't put him in that position and let it be the PR exercise that it is. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, next up is uh, Toronto for the All-Star uh, Weekend. I know your answer and mine is much the same. I don't really care. I'm not, uh, I'm not that excited. It doesn't really move the needle for me much at all.
to so, be honest. So this may surprise you, Brock. It's not that I do care, but I don't don't care about the All-Star <laughs> Weekend coming to Toronto, if only because it might give me a chance to relive January 2009 when I was wandering up and down St. Laurent Street in Montreal when the All-Star game came to Montreal. And let's just say your boy, who was in a much better shape at the time, uh, got to hang out with a couple All-Stars at a couple nightclubs on St. Laurent and had a good time, although I think that now, as I will be 40 years old when uh, this All-Star game occurs, maybe I might not be quite welcomed into the same circles. Mm -hmm. But let's leave it at that for uh, this day, Brock. Have yourself a great day, and uh, good luck hosting Kelly and Ramya later today. We should call it Kelly and Brock. Yes, uh, I have enjoyed it, and I will continue to enjoy it today. It's been fun. <laughs> That's Brock Richardson. He is the host of The Neutral Zone. He's at the AMI Sports Desk. He's filling in for Ramya on Kelly and Ramya today. Brock is a busy, busy man. Speaking of busy people, Alex Smythe has the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow off and on today, and up to four centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus four, feeling like minus 11. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's cloudy with a chance of snow. The high is zero degrees, and it's feeling like minus 11. In St. John, New Brunswick, it is cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and clouds as the day goes on. The high is three degrees, but with that wind chill, makes it feel like minus five. In Quebec City, Quebec, there's clouds clearing out this morning, making way for sunshine. The high is minus six, feeling like minus 15, but there is a smog advisory in effect due to heavy pollutants in the area. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later. The high is minus two, feeling like minus seven. Over to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy, becoming a, a, with a chance of snow this morning, and then it becomes a mix of sun and clouds later. The high is minus 5, feeling like minus 19. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow in the afternoon today. The high is 1 degree, feeling like minus 13. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow clearing this afternoon. The uh, wind gusts are also up to 70 kilometers per hour today, so it's quite a windy day. The high is zero degrees, feeling like minus 11. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it is mainly sunny and with wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour as well. The high is seven degrees, feeling like minus nine. The Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly sunny, a high of three degrees and a wind chill that makes it feel like minus nine. The White Horse Yukon, it is cloudy with a chance of snow this morning. Then it'll become a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon. There's wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus three with a wind chill of minus 12. The Kelowna, BC, it's cloudy with a high of seven degrees. And finally in Vancouver, BC, there's heavy rain today with up to 15 millimeters expected. And the high is seven degrees. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, the CRTC is considering revamping internet pricing in Canada. Mark Aflalo has some more information. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The new chair of the CRTC is promising a revamped model for internet pricing in Canada. Mark Aflalo from Double Tap TV is here to give you a little bit more detail on this speculation. Hey, good morning, Mark. How's it going? I am surviving, Dave. Uh, thankfully, I missed the freezing cold last week that you all endured, but I am back to experience whatever comes next. Where were you? I was in Florida. Oh, were you doing some work? Remember that All-Star game you were just talking yeah, about? With yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was up in the press box watching all that stuff unhappen. Nice when uh, happen, unfold. It's it's nice when a business trip sends you to Miami. You know, better than being it's, sent to Minnesota. It's not a difficult situation. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, let's come back to the CRTC chair, uh, Vicky Estrides. The statement that she offered up is a little ambiguous. What do you think it means for internet users? Well, I think it means that we're going to see an increase in competition uh, and we're going to see prices start to slowly drop. Right now, Canada is among one of the top 10 in terms of internet pricing in the world, which is a little bit ridiculous considering the infrastructure and the money that the big three telecoms do come in. And, and there's a lot of smaller groups out there who are really pushing hard to make sure that there is a quality across the board when it comes to internet speed, availability, and pricing. And she is, you know, promising to make changes and make them fast, even though she's only been in the chair for just about a month now. Mm. If I made you the uh, czar of telecom, what kind of model do you think you'd create? I, I, I think there needs to be some real conversation about a low-cost but decent-speed model. Like, like you know, nothing, nothing like mind-blowing, like no super upload or download speeds, like not in the terabytes, but something that would be affordable and easy to access for all Canadians. And number one, I think accessibility in terms of access to internet needs to be solved. It needs to be not a question. It has now become uh, an essential part of our lives. We need to be connected, whether it's via mobile or via some kind of landline connection. And everybody needs access to that, no matter where they might be. So that's number one. Number two is they need to be able to afford it in some way, shape, or form. And I think that we definitely have to sit down and look at the you know cost of living in the different locations and figure out how to make it accessible to people. The fact of the matter is, is that at the end of the day, the CRTC does not have that much insight to the actual costs to actually maintain the infrastructure structure. So I think we need to get down to the bottom of that to be able to determine mm -hmm. what is fair, what allows the companies to actually, you know, make money at the end of the day and continue to survive, but also maybe there are ways for the government to subsidize it for places that don't have access to it currently. Yeah, really rural places. You and I have had the conversation a lot about yeah. the ongoing development of non-wired technology, the use of satellites. Not to say that we need to start lining the pockets of Elon Musk with uh, with more scratch, but certainly exploring some of those options as opposed to saying okay, we are building wiring out to every far-flung corner of the country. We're finding ways to create hubs, whether it be satellite or otherwise. There are great footprints and great examples in countries uh, in Asia. You know, in Japan, they've been using wireless technology for longer than they've been using wired almost at this point because of the cost being way more efficient to just put up a couple of repeaters that beam the signal and make sure that those people have access to Internet. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, an optional service there. It is an essential service, and people are getting cell phones over actual landlines anymore. So this is a reality, and this is something that in Canada, the fact that we're even having this discussion is a little bit archaic mm -hmm. but it needs to have needs to happen because <laughs> we are in this situation even though it involves satellites it's not rocket science huh uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh mark what about the timeline you mentioned that that um that atreides is talking about a pretty aggressive timeline here 
She's talking about impending changes. She's saying literally it's going to happen in the next month or so. She's asking people to be a little bit patient. But, you know, in terms of things she has done in the four weeks that she's been in office, there have been some pretty, pretty quick decisions and pretty quick access to things. Switching gears to Samsung, they're doing some research to create an extended reality initiative. We've we've heard terms like augmented reality, virtual reality. Where does extended reality fit into this mix? It's kind of a combination of all of the above. Extended reality is not that immersive VR experience where you're closed off from the world and you need to be in a nice dark space and you have that, you know, roller coaster type experiences and gaming type experiences. Extended reality is this vision of what, you know, we we think Apple Glass is going to be just a regular pair of glasses that have a, a see-through frame that actually overlay information onto the existing world. So extending the reality of the existing space. Now, obviously, uh, a lot of questions come up with that when it comes to people with low vision. And that's where audio really does have a big, big, big play here. But the, the whole concept of extended reality is an interesting one. I think it's the one that everybody's trying to get to. It's that kind of holy grail of Iron Man, Jarvis, heads up display in the world. <laughs> being able to get access to information without people even realizing you're getting that access. Uh, you used Golden Grail. I was thinking Golden Goose, but our headspace is in the exact same uh, spot there. <laughs> How does this fit into Samsung's previous efforts with wearables? You know, in terms of wearables when it comes to Samsung's, I mean, they they did pioneer virtual reality. They were one of the first to have a affordable virtual reality solution in their Gear VR. I don't know if you remember way back when they had a device that you actually put your phone into the headset itself. Yeah. And it allowed yeah. you to see. Yeah, that was the one of the first ones. And it had pretty good success. And then they had a version that didn't need your phone in it that, again, was very successful and also the sub $500 mark. I think anything Samsung puts their mind to, they will succeed at. They've got the money, they've got the technology, they've got the know-how, and they've got all that in-house. It's not like they farm out their production. They make the, the, the chips, they make the screens, they make everything. So the fact that they could be working on something like this and us not even know about it right now is extremely likely. What kind of timeline do you expect they might have here? Again, coming back to this golden grail, golden goose concept, holy grail concept, the fact is, all these companies seemingly are circling around this. What do you expect Samsung's timeline might be? You know, it's hard to guesstimate at this because I think for the past three years, we've been saying this is the year, this is the yeah, year, this yeah, is yeah. the year. And guess what we've been saying this year? This, this is, is the, the year, year for yeah. Apple Glass. This it, it, is the year it, for it. And you talk so, to Stephen Scott almost every day, so so you're probably hearing yeah, this every exactly. day. Yeah, exactly. So imagine that. Um, I, I Honestly, I do believe that we are really close to it, and this could be the year. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's coming up on uh, Double Tap tomorrow night? This is a really cool episode. We're going to be talking to a, a woman by the name of Sunday Parker, who is the head of a technology, the Microsoft Tech Accessibility um, Accelerator, ex enabling people around the world to get access to funds and Microsoft resources to push the accessibility envelope. A really cool episode. Oh, very cool. Mark, thank you for this. My pleasure, Dave. And I'm glad you had a nice warm weekend in Miami. Hopefully it, was, it wasn't all work. Hopefully there was some time for some play. Yeah, we'll talk off the air. Okay, fair enough. That's Mark <laughs> Flalo. He's one of the co-hosts of Double Tap TV. You can find Double Tap TV Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. You can also find episodes on demand at AMI.ca or on the AMI-tv app for Apple and Android. And you can find the Double Tap team on Twitter at Double Tap On Air. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has some thoughts to share about an experience 
in an Uber that uh, didn't go super well on the weekend. So what's your horror story? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You'll hear from Alex Smythe and Nazreen Abdelmajid in just a moment, but I wanted to share a story with you as some context before we jumped into this conversation. A colleague of this show, who I'm not going to name because I'm not sure how public they made their social media post on the weekend, shared a story about another guide dog service denial by the ride-sharing company Uber. And of course, we talked about how there was a cold snap that ran through a lot of Eastern Canada last week. And of course, it's on those days when Uber drivers take it upon themselves to decide, no, 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 I am not going to follow the law and allow your service animal into this car. And I'm going to leave you out in the freezing cold temperatures while you try to make other arrangements. And it wasn't just one Uber driver, it was two Uber drivers that denied this person guide dog access over and over. It's a problem that is all too common that you are extremely well aware of, and it always seems like it's during the snowstorms or the cold snaps when Uber drivers decide to go into business for themselves. Well, a bit of a related news story here is that Uber did announce that there is now a phone number for people with service animals who are denied service that goes right to Uber that is active 24 hours a day in both the U.S. and Canada. You may want to jot this one down. It's one 815 833-715-8237 is the phone number. Again, that's a number specifically for people with service animals who are denied service. It's really gross. This keeps happening. It's probably to the point that now when Uber drivers are denying service for service animals, they should be fired. That's pretty much where we're at now because we're past the point of awareness campaigns or understanding campaigns or maybe people just don't get it. No, we are uh, well past this point. It's time to start dropping the hammer on these folks. If you deny a person with a service animal, you should not be allowed to drive for Uber anymore. And then when you decide to start working for Lyft and you do the same thing for Lyft, you should be fired from Lyft as well. Point final, that's it. That's all there is to be said. But when it comes to ride-sharing nightmares, it's not just guide dog service denial or other service animal denial. There are all kinds of problems you can run into. And Alex Smythe, you had a situation on the weekend that ruffled your feathers. Uh, yeah, well, I just really wanted to reflect on uh, the rideshare experience. And so I was uh, in, taking the rideshare this weekend and uh, we were driving along the, the highway and in front of us there was a big uh, semi-truck and huge chunks of ice just flew off the back of this truck and smashed into the windshield of the the car I was in. Thankfully, no one was was hurt. Like we were okay. We got to the destination, fine, and everything. But the car had a massive crack in the windshield as a result. That's obviously going to have to get repaired. And I, I thought to myself, just okay, after the fact, how much worse could that potentially have been? And because uh, it didn't really dawn on me until I got a message from uh, the the uh, through the app saying, hey, we, we heard that you were in an accident. Uh, you know, if you need any assistance, yada, yada, like contact us. And I kind of thought, 
oh yeah, I guess it kind of was. And I, I, it didn't really dawn on me, you know, because it just happened so quickly. So I, I wanted to open up the floor to everyone. Just like talk about maybe some, you know, horror stories we, we've heard time and time again, obviously about denial of di guide dog services and things like that. Uh, but any other horror stories or maybe near misses that you've experienced while taking a rideshare, Uber, Lyft, what have you. Um, Nisreen, why don't we start with you? Uh, I'm so glad that you guys brought up the um, the services of uh, of you know being denied the, those services for people who are visually impaired or blind, um, because I've I've heard some from other people that their ride has canceled right when you confirm the ride and you mentioned that you're visually impaired. It happened to me once. It was at night, and uh, I said that I'm visually impaired, so I can't see the license plate. So please, like you know, uh, honk twice if you're here. And uh, right when they confirmed and I wrote that, they automatically just canceled the ride. So that happened quite a few times and too many times if you ask me, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to those things. Another thing that happened, uh, it was a pretty horror story, almost uh, a miss, you know? Uh, so it was late at night as well and it was dark, so I can't see around me. I got picked up and all of a sudden I find myself in a parking lot. The driver parked the car and I immediately, like my intuition hit me. And I was like, this is not, this is not my location. It was like five minutes into the ride and we were at a parking lot. So automatically I told my sister to call me, act like, you know, you need me for something really quickly. So he was trying to make conversation with me, trying to be friendly or whatever. My sister called and I was talking to her on the phone the whole time. So that's it. He just drove off to my destination. But what if something happened in these cases? So you never know. Like, I think just yeah, follow terrible. your intuition. That's yeah, terrible. Follow yeah. your intuition. Uh, yeah. yeah, Alex, there's probably some privilege we have as guys where you don't need to really worry about that safety stuff in the same way. But I've had a couple really terrible drivers, just like really bad drivers, right, who mm -hmm. are speeding, uh, blowing through uh, red lights that maybe they would have argued was a yellow light. I would have told you pretty clearly it was red. Uh, I definitely had someone uh, take a right on a red once when they weren't supposed to and darn near ran over a pedestrian, which was very awkward because the pedestrian then started trying to open my door. And I was like, oh, my gosh, do I have to fight somebody on on behalf of my Uber driver, is that part of the is that part of the uh, the equation that I've signed up to in the terms and services? So I've had a couple of really bad drivers. I've never had like an absolute total horror story though. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, I've got some pet peeves. Nazreen, you mentioned the picking up thing. Mm -hmm. These drivers, who when you call them to a very busy street, I'm not talking about like uh, yeah side street. I'm talking about like you're calling them to Front Street or you're calling them to Queen Street or King yeah. Street and they decide to pull up on the other side of the road in the middle of a block. So now you're forced with the decision of, I have to jaywalk through traffic to get to this car. Now, again, sometimes jaywalking is not that big a problem, but sometimes jaywalking really is a big problem. Like it's a big safety concern with bike lanes and cars and other pedestrians mm. and patios and a million other things. I'll tell you, that's one of my biggest safety pet peeves. And I've dung a lot of drivers on the rating system in the past if they make me do that within reason. Sometimes I understand, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll take note of that, but I will ding drivers if for no good reason they pulled up on the other side of the block. Alex, what about you, pet peeve? 
Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've certainly experienced that one where they're on the other side or just like, they're just like a block away and um, they kind of just wait for you there. Uh, I literally had one. It was getting picked up from our office at AMI. So in the parking lot, I always go and stand out front. And I, I saw uh, on my app that there was a driver who was like, you know, nearby a minute. Okay, so I'm up waiting. I'm looking. Okay, he's not moving. He's not moving. I'm like trying to look around and try to find him. Okay, he's not here. Where is he? he? He basically parked, went to the Starbucks for 10 minutes, which is literally next door to our, our building, and then came out afterwards. It's like, okay, well, whether you had to go to the washroom or whatever, just do it before you you agree to pick me up, before you uh, do it. Like, don't do it after mm -hmm. you're, you're basically on the way and right beside me. You know, it was kind of like I, I could have gotten another ride. I could have been on my way. And especially with me commuting, it's like, okay, well, I have to worry about uh, train schedules and stuff like that. So uh, that was a big pet peeve. Another one, when I was in PEI this summer, um, Uber isn't all um, that uh, popular out in, on the island. So there was a different app that I used that was more uh, locally based. And there was one guy that we uh, contacted to, and the, said the car was on the way and we were following the map. And again, another time that they just went parked in a parking lot, like on the other side of Charlottetown for like 15 minutes and weren't doing anything. So I, whether, and I, I pinched in and zoomed into the map to find out where he was. He was at a coffee shop. Again, just hanging out, getting a drink, enjoying himself while we're just waiting for a ride out of downtown Charlottetown. So uh, yeah, I, I, those are my big pet peeves. It's like, it's one thing if you want to go and do that, fine. Just don't take on a rider. Or if you get paired with one, just cancel it and then go and do what you need to do. But uh, yeah, it's when when I'm expecting you to arrive and you're just gonna take your time, go for a coffee, go to the washroom. That's that's where my pet peeves are. Yeah, the, there's no doubt. There, there maybe are some people who've been listening to this segment thinking we're being a really tough on people who are underpaid and largely exploited uh, by the economic system that they're participating in in ride sharing, and that is fair. But I think what you're identifying, Alex, and what you identified, Nazreen, is a very reasonable criticism that says, listen, we acknowledge the system that you're engaged in is unjust, but that doesn't mean you get to act like a total dink to us in our experiences, especially the I've accepted giving you a ride, but I'm not actually going to get on the road for 10 or 15 minutes. No, no, mm -hmm. I didn't call this preemptively. I called this because I'm ready to go somewhere, not yeah. because I'm wanting to wait around for 15 minutes. If I wanted to wait 15 minutes, I'd go wait for a bus. Uh, Nazreen, pet peeves for you. I think you identified one of them, which is one of the most significant, which is violence against women or the possibility of violence or a threat against a woman. That's like clearly yeah. number one. That's not a pet peeve. That's a genuine yeah. legitimate concern. What about pet peeves? Uh, pet peeve of mine, you mentioned, you know, when they park far or on the opposite side of an intersection and I'm standing here trying to find them and they're like, I'm here. I'm like, I don't see you because I can't see that far. I don't, I can't see the license plate across the street. Um, what do you expect from me to do? So uh, I, they, I tell them how I look like and just, you know, give them idea of who I am and try to find me instead of me trying to find you. So uh, last week that happened when I was at a doctor appointment and uh, it was it was me just 10 minutes in just trying to find each other. And I'm like, listen, I'm right here. So I end up crossing the street a couple of times to find this man. And he's like, oh, 
I was here. I, I I mentioned in my description that I'm, you know, visually impaired, so I can't see that far. And he's like, oh, oh, I didn't notice that. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, it's a very important description right there. So, yeah, it's when they park far. Yeah, that's a big one for sure. Alex, thank you for bringing this topic to the table. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Nazreen, thank you as well. You may have noticed that Ramya was not part of this conversation. Ramya is off today. Brock Richardson filling in for her on Kelly and Ramya, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. One of the key Monday contributors is always Danielle McLaughlin in the Know Your Rights segment. Danielle will be discussing the importance of continuing to offer services to Indigenous people with disabilities while they're on reserve. Kelly and Ramya comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Speaking of Kelly and Ramya, AMI and Tempur-Pedic are teaming up to celebrate the launch of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Be sure for your chance, be sure to enter for your chance to win a Temper pro adapt mattress the dream big contest runs until february 8th at 11:59 p.m eastern time so that is this week to enter the contest visit ami.ca slash kr contest that's ami.ca slash kr contest coming up after the break how do you stay active in the winter new columnist ryan van prates will offer up some advice this is now with dave brown on ami tv Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Keeping up some kind of physical exercise routine is important year-round. It doesn't need to be clanging and banging with heavy weights at the gym or running wind sprints at your local soccer field. I'm talking about going for a stroll or maybe doing some morning stretches. And there's this thing called winter. And it can be a real barrier to staying active. So how do you stay active during the winter? Ryan Van Praet is a marathon runner and the newest columnist on Now with Dave Brown. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dave. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm always excited to chat with you. It's been a couple of years since we've done this on air together. You are a pretty committed person when it comes to your training and fitness. How do you find winter impacts your motivation to stay active? Yeah, I think over my career, it's changed a little bit. I think now that I'm a little bit longer in the tooth and been doing this a long time, I, I'm lucky enough to have all the tools at my disposal. But uh, years ago, you know, the motivation to uh, get out there and bundle up and navigate the snow and go to the gym, you know, the logistics of it was a bit, uh, a, a bit trigger, or a bit cumbersome. But you know, now I, I don't have a lot of excuses. I think, um, you know, it's setting yourself up with the right tools, um, you know, high tech, low tech, whatever, whatever excites you, um, podcasts, music. Um, but for me, I stay motivated through, through goals. I'm a big goal oriented guy and, and friendships, you know, having that connection, um, always having somebody, uh, somebody expecting me to show up to do that workout with is, is a good motivator for me. Maybe it's peer pressure. I don't know. <laughs> I like that you mentioned that, right? Because so oftentimes when we're talking about fitness, there's a community component to it, whether it's maybe one person you're working out with or other regulars at the gym or other regulars in a yoga class. How important is it to remember to keep the community side engaged, even when that winter rolls around and maybe the motivation to actually walk or take the bus to the gym goes away? 
honestly, in, in winter, it's even more important because in the summer, you know, you you have the motivation to get out there in the bright, uh, warm weather. And, you know, if if I happen to have a, the play date with you, Dave, and we go out for a walk, that's great. But, you know, if not, yeah, it's still beautiful summertime. But in the winter, there's far less things to draw upon to really keep you excited and motivated. So, um, you know, case in point this weekend, I had two separate workouts with with two different friends. And we both remarked that, you know, if it wasn't for that, that expectation that we we're both going to show up, we probably wouldn't have showed up because it was minus 20, whatever out there. <laughs> so yeah, having that in the winter, it's more important. Um, and because everybody is just starting, you know, nobody's in their sort of summer fitness and, you know, nobody's really intimidated. They're just, we're all kind of like fledgling at the beginning of the year, getting off those Christmas pounds. And so, um, you know, we all feel like we're in it together. So it's just a really actually perfect time of year for that uh, for that community aspect. Yeah. You're out there in Southwest Ontario where the snow cleaning and ice cleaning is not exactly ideal. Very similar to how it's not really ideal here in, in, in Toronto, nor is it ideal in places like Montreal or Ottawa or take your pick anywhere in the country, whether it's the prairies, the Atlantic provinces or elsewhere. What's your strategy as a runner? Because that's your that's sort of your, your well, I'm going to say it's your favorite thing to do. Maybe I'm incorrect in that assumption, but you're a marathon runner. What's your strategy to actually get in some runs in when the temperature drops? Yeah, actually, I, I, I'm probably less of a credit of a runner. I'm, I call my, I'm a triathlete, which gives me the, which gives me the, um, the green light to say I don't have to be good at anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm average swimmer, biker, runner. So, uh, yeah, I, for me, uh, you know, I, I have those tools at my disposal. So, um, lucky enough, and so to get those runs in, it's either the combination of, um, you know, braving the 15 feet out to my shed where my treadmill is. Uh, and you know, setting up all the various technologies to keep me entertained, or it's making those those playdates, as I like to call them, and and really, you know, holding myself accountable, but holding my friends accountable too, um, you know, and that combined with, you know, knowing what your springtime goals are, knowing what your summertime goals are, and I've been doing this long enough to know that putting in the work this time of year, even as a recreational athlete will pay off in the summer when you know you don't want to get to august wishing uh for the fitness that you could have been building in january mm. so all those things kind of combine to to add up to keep me to keep me motivated and um yeah and and just again having the tools at your disposal is a is a is a a lucky thing, I guess. We'll come to the tools in just a second, but I'm curious, is there ever a situation or motivation where you will actually run outside in the winter? I, I prefer it, honestly. I can't stand the treadmill, but I, I feel bad complaining about it because I do have one. But I do prefer uh, running outside. So it is a combination of, yeah, is is it safe for not only me, but um, running with a, a guide, as I do, it's that extra level. You know, I, um, you know, if, if I don't return, well, I don't know, my wife might be sad, but I have to return my friend to his wife too. So you have to keep that into, into account as well. But I, I just love being outside. And I think that's why I, I do this sport. So that actually adds to the motivation when I'm inside trudging away. I do know that the races do occur outside. So that, that does, uh, 
yeah, add to the motivation. Anyone who's a regular viewer of this show knows that during the pandemic, I spent way too much money on a few sets of dumbbells to give me some fitness tools for my apartment. As time went on, I discovered resistance bands as a super affordable and effective alternative. You know, instead of paying hundreds of dollars for dumbbells, I was spending tens of dollars on resistance bands. What are some low cost fitness tools that you keep around the house? A thousand percent. You know, I, I, I have a range and I think, you know, keeping that in mind, it's, it's a range of, uh, of tools that, that meet your needs. So if you're someone looking for just general, ac uh, general activity, general, uh, strength and conditioning, a set of resistance bands are going to be plenty. Usually. I mean, the amount of resistance that you can get in those is going to be spectacular. If you're looking for something that's going to build a lot more, uh, uh, muscle mass maybe or or pure strength then maybe those dumbbells are are the way to go but yeah resistance bands i love trx uh, i have a trx strap uh if you have the ability a, a chin-up bar i mean it probably doesn't get as much use as it should but you know at least it's there <laughs> but anything even as simple as um you know, taking the box of kitty litter down the stairs, uh, baskets of laundry, uh, the soap containers, the the laundry soap jugs with the handles. You can use all of those things at home uh, just for any level of resistance. And and I think that's the way you got to think about it. Is that you know um, one of my favorite sayings is, is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And so you don't need to be pumping iron and you know picking up furniture, but even just a, <laughs> something a little heavier than your daily activity is is going to uh, help you out for sure. Ryan, uh, you're someone who really enjoys the fitness. I'm someone who also enjoys it, despite the fact that the equator has gotten a little bit wider over the last couple of years. We have about a minute left on the clock here, 90 seconds left on the clock. I'm, I'm just curious, from someone like yourself, who, who who takes it seriously, but who's also a recreationalist, do you find there's a, maybe almost a little too much chatter in the fitness space about trying to get people to be uh, Adonises rather than just, hey, it's just really good to get a little bit of a sweat or breathe a little bit more deeply on any given day? A thousand percent. My background's in, in kinesiology, health education, and I I love taking a beginner and moving them through the stages of creating a sustainable, active lifestyle. You know, people might look at what I do and go, well, you're trying to create uh, super athletes and not at all, right? It's whatever gets you out the door and, and whatever is sustainable. Um, it's, you know, as cliche as it is, your body is like a car and it needs to be maintained. Whether you like it or not, you kind of just have to do it. And so, I look at it from that sustainability point of view, and everybody is unique in their body type. Um, it's okay if the equator is a little bigger there, Dave. It just uh, <laughs> you know gives you a little more motivation to to keep working out. But yeah, um, just do just do what you can. Um, with social media these days, it's really hard to ignore, you know, wanting to compare yourself to others. But um, again, try your best not to, and just pick your one pick your very next step and take that very next step and you'll be surprised how the momentum sort of carries you forward yeah find stuff you like i realized a long time ago i don't like burpees so burpees are out of the mix for me we keep it a little more simple on that front hey ryan yeah. i am delighted that you're uh, hopping aboard to be one of the new columnists here on the show thank you for making time for us today with a little bit of an introduction i look forward to the ongoing conversation that we're going to have it's always awesome chatting with you dave thanks Ryan Van Praet is a marathon runner, triathlete, and the newest contributor to Now with Dave Brown. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't forget, between now and then, you can certainly vote on the Daily Poll, which you can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Do you find it annoying when retailers are putting everyday items behind lock and key? 
yes or no, or you haven't noticed that one yet. And don't forget, tomorrow, Megan Gilmore is stopping by with an update on the National Disability Benefit, which continues to work its way through the halls of Parliament. Until then, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.